Charlie went down to that place so we could all be rescued. And whatever he did down there, it worked. But then something must have happened. He must have heard something. I don't know why, but he changed his mind. Because the last thing he did was to warn us that the people in that boat are not who they said they were. Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how the episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 401, entitled The Beginning of the End. This is the 73rd hour of the series, and there are 49 to go. Certainly is nice to be uh, straight in uh, season 4 now, definitely uh, an exciting turning of the corner, the uh, the halfway mark now uh, between seasons. Also a moment to note uh, the Season 4 theme song that I'm now using. This is a Michael Giacchino track from the uh, much-reviled film Speed Racer, which I have not seen. But uh, this is a track entitled Grand Ole Prix. And, uh, of course, I like to mention that because I do, uh, I do pay for each of these tracks that I use. I, I kind of have this fear that one day Michael Giacchino will come down on me and say, Hey, you're using my stuff. And, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's fair use. Uh, as I understand the law and the fact that I've paid for it, it's good stuff. And hopefully the fact that I've mentioned it, now you go out and, and buy it too. Uh, kind of a neat, action-packed track. Uh, it was a bit sad to, to say goodbye to uh, the season 3-1. Certainly was used the most, it being the longest season. Uh, also, it was just a really cool track, that from uh, Mission Impossible 4, or whatever they called it, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And when I finally saw that movie... Uh, basically towards the end of doing season three of the podcast. Uh, it opens with that track, and it was like, hey, that's my theme music that they're using there. So certainly good stuff indeed. And uh, I hope that uh, Michael Giacchino scores a few more movies uh, between now and the end of the podcast because I'm getting getting a little short on usable tracks from uh, non-lost sources that uh, Giacchino has on iTunes. But oh well. I'll worry about such problems as we get there. One more quick programming note. Uh, I had initially intended to do the uh, the Lost Mobisodes, the, the so-called missing pieces, uh, in between seasons three and four. And between some of the technical issues that I was experiencing, as well as, well, quite frankly, thinking that you, the listener, probably don't want to spend tons of time in between the seasons talking about non-episode things... Uh, I decided this. I'm gonna I'm gonna cover. Well, I, I suppose there's one more thing I should mention. My recollection of seeing the uh, missing pieces mobisodes uh, was that they're not that great. They're not that critical, uh, and they're not particularly entertaining. So I kind of thought, on the heels of doing a season four preview, to then spend another week in between seasons uh, to talk about the mobisodes. You know, might not be. Something that you, the listener, would enjoy terribly much. So what I decided to do, uh, because this is a season that was so broken up, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do these eight episodes, 401 through 408. As you might recall, that was then when the show unexpectedly went on a four or five week hiatus in order to be able to catch up to to production after the writer's strike. I'm going to pause at that point after 408 
do a week where we'll talk not only about the uh, the uh, uh, the Mobisodes, but also this fantastic article that I read. And I wish I had the link in front of me, which of course I don't here. None of them looking at my my Evernote account, but um, just a fantastic article. That I think uh, it, that, that is recent. Uh, I, I believe it's from June 2010, uh, 2012 rather. And uh, so recent to, to me as I record this. And um, it's just, it's, it's dense, it's deep. And certainly that might be a point where we could have Pete from the uh, PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast come back. We'll discuss that. I think that, that'll probably make for a good episode where, you know, the Mobisodes in total, I think, are only about 30 or 35 minutes. Uh, and again, each little bit in there, you know, we're not going to, it's not going to be clips from each and every single one. Some of it is just like, oh, Jack and his dad talk. And, you know, it's not that critical to talk about or to get into depth. So uh, certainly there are some others, like when the form of Christian appears shortly after the crash and tells, uh, tells, uh, uh, the, the dog to go, you know, there's Jack over there, um, but I think it'll it'll make for a nice balanced episode and kind of something mid season in this the the short season and also to kind of replicate a bit that uh, that slight pause that the uh, you know that that pause that the season had. So with that, let's now get into the Wikipedia summary for this episode. After being knifed in the back by John Locke in the third season finale, Naomi uses her satellite phone to call George Minkowski on the freighter. Before she dies, she tells him that her injury was an accident and to give her love to her sister. Meanwhile, Hurley finds Jacob's cabin. He looks through the window and sees an unidentified man in a rocking chair before someone steps up to the glass, only the left eye visible. Hurley runs away but finds the cabin again in a different location. He squeezes his eyes shut and when he opens them, the building is gone and Locke appears. Elsewhere, Desmond returns from the looking glass, bearing Charlie's final message that the freighter offshore is not owned by Penny Widmore. The survivors reunite at 815's cockpit. Jack knocks Locke to the ground, takes his gun and pulls the trigger, but finds that the gun is not loaded because Locke had no intention of killing Jack the earlier day. Locke tells the castaways that they are in great danger and leaves for the barracks with Hurley, Sawyer, Claire, Baby Aaron, Danielle and her captive. Ben Linus, as well as Alex and her boyfriend Carl, and Vincent the dog. Soon after, Jack and Kate see a helicopter and meet Daniel. Flash forwards show that Hurley is now famous as one of the quote Oceanic Six after his escape from the island and is keeping quiet about his time there. Hurley encounters an apparition of Charlie. Shocked, he speeds away in his Camaro and is apprehended by the LAPD. Hurley is interrogated by Anna Lucia's former partner, Detective Mike Walton, and he lies that he has no knowledge of Anna Lucia. Hurley, looking at the interrogation room's mirror glass, imagines seeing Charlie swimming in water as he breaks the glass and floods the room. Hurley willingly returns to the Santa Rosa Mental Health Institution, where he is visited by Matthew Abaddon, who claims to be an attorney for Oceanic Airlines. When Abaddon fails to supply a business card, he asks if they are still alive before stealthily exiting. An apparition of Charlie appears to tell Hurley that they need him. Finally, Hurley is visited by Jack, who is thinking of growing a beard. Jack confirms that Hurley will not reveal the Oceanic Six's secrets. Hurley apologizes for going with Locke and insists that they return to the island. But Jack refuses, which shows that these flash-forwards occur before Jack's flash-forwards. 
So with that, rather succinct, I think uh, not too bad, Wikipedia summary. Now get into my thoughts about the episode. And the episode proper starts with that serene island shot. Mangoes, as many as you could ever want. Then a car, a Camaro, for those first-timers playing along at home, which of course should be ringing some bells in us. Uh, Hurley thoughts before we see it's Hurley. And this car bursts through the scene, breaking us into what is meant to be the new reality. We thought we were on the island. We thought we were always going to be on the island. But we are now back again. We're back to this question of who are these people and what are they doing here? We don't understand Hurley's motives. Uh, And this question, who are these people and what are they doing here? It's repeated by a mysterious man watching the car chase on television. He's pouring his OJ with a touch of vodka. The camera teases us for a few moments before panning up to reveal Jack. At least now we're grounded. We know it's the future, a time that we'll come to know as 2007. There's also a great touch of familiarity in the scene as he looks up at the Camaro. Uh, And I'll add as well, there's this great bit of set design and costuming. Jack looks so comfortable, so stable. Even the little splash of vodka and the orange juice doesn't condemn him as the bearded, addicted man that we saw in the first flash forward. It kind of has the classy, winking hint of just being slightly naughty. Back to the car chase, there's some great twists and turns, some real action-y, pow-pow kind of stuff. Uh, including a guy who uh, was rumored to have been Randy Nation's videotaping it, but at least to my eyes, it, it simply doesn't look like him. Anyhow, with the car finally stopped, who steps out of the car? I think that we dedicated fans can tell by the hands that it's Hurley, although the show milks it by hiding him for a few more seconds behind the cops. But indeed, it is Hurley who makes a run for it, caught he restates how very lost these people still are. Stop! Don't you know who I am? Stop! Wait! Don't you know who I am? I'm one of the Oceanic Six! I'm one of the Oceanic Six! After the title card, we're still in flash forwards where he's being grilled by Copy Copperton, who looks vaguely familiar from some other shows, perhaps? No. You want to know a funny coincidence? Sure. I knew somebody on your plane. Really? Her name was Ana Lucia Cortez. She was my partner before I made detective. Dark hair. Gorgeous. Maybe you knew her. Maybe you met her on the plane before it took off. Sorry, never met her. It's a small world after all. This is, of course, Big Mike, as he said, Anna Lucia's former partner. And what fantastic writing with Mike's passing comment that she was gorgeous. You know, it's the little things in Lost and I suppose in life. It's at this point when things start to move almost to the surreal. The mirror in that interrogation room turns from a reflection to an undersea view. Charlie swimming in. And for the eagle-eyed who push pause, there's of course, is writing on the hand. And uh, you see that right before it smashes the glass. Hey! 
wrong with you? What are you doing, Reyes? Huh? You trying to get tossed into the nuthouse? Because if that's what you want, I can make that happen right now, my friend. You can? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's on his hand? I suppose I should have mentioned that. Initially, I thought it was not Penny's boat, but of course, you go back, you look, you pause carefully, it says, they need you, a refrain that gets repeated uh, later in the episode by Charlie. And again, you know, the way that clip ends, the show is hitting the refrain hard. Who are these people and how did they get here? Who is this frazzled, frightened Hurley on the run, desperate to be sent to a mental institution? Uh, the show, of course, loves its counterpoint and returns to Island Hurley calling Jack, with whom he has a conversation reminding us that they've been to the radio tower, turned off the jammer, talked to the freighter, set up rescue on the way. Kate and Jack then talk about Locke disappearing, and with that we're all caught up, right? With all this exposition? No. Sun and Claire goo-goo eyes over Aaron. Sun reminds us... I mean Claire, that she's pregnant and, once rescued, will give birth in a hospital. Which, as a side note, is a nice little bit of foreshadowing there, but... But at least that's the end of the exposition, until Rose joins the conversation and they talk about Bernard helping out and Charlie turning off the jammer. Okay, we got it. At least the exposition ends with Rose suggesting that Claire, quote, take care of Charlie real good, close quote, when he gets back. Despite the fact that we're still smarting from Charlie's death, yowza, Rose. Finally, finally, things start to move on. Ben asks Danielle for a favor, and Mira Furlan's acting here is just one of perfect shock. He asks Danielle to get herself and Alex as far as possible away from, from uh, this bunch because of the coming threat. Once again, Ben is faced with, you know, when he's faced with nothing else, he speaks the truth. Danielle smacks him good, real good, uh, for claiming that Alex is his daughter and walks off. With that, the story moves to Sawyer and Juliet silently digging graves, then Poof moves on to successful Hurley and Bernard post-battle chatting it up. Hurley saying that he's now free of the money because it's been split up, people having assumed that he's dead. Hurley says at this point that he wants to cannonball, and the show allows us the sort of happy freedom that I think only Jorge Garcia can share. It's a moment of unbridled happiness, but of course it doesn't last. Desmond has returned. We need to get the jack. We can't let him get in touch with our boat. It's easy, Scotty. Everything's cool. Boat's on the way. What? On the way? No. Hey, it was Charlie. No, that woman, that woman, she lied. The, the people on the boat aren't who they say they are. What? And who are they? Well, I don't know, but we need Desmond. to get in touch with Jack now. Wait. It's all right. We can call him. We have a walkie. It's okay. Well, where is it? Get it. What do you mean the people aren't who they say? Where's Charlie? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, brother. I... Here the morning that the show didn't have time for in the season three finale it's completed here or at least started it's a short moment to be sure but certainly powerful an opportunity for the show to really reflect on charlie who first time viewers can assume we're never going to see again 
The story moves to the sat phone ringing and Jack trying to cover up for not putting Naomi on the phone, you know, what on account of the knife in her back and her being presumed dead. And indeed, earlier shots in the episode have reaffirmed that she's lifeless with a knife in her back. But right after Minkowski asks for her, Kate grabs Jack. That's right, on an island where the sick heal quickly and the dead tend not to be, uh, she's gone. And the witness to her escape? Ben. His knowledge about it? A shrug to end the act. We return after the act break to the beach, with the beach team all a Twitter about uh, what to do as to the news of not Penny's boat. Saeed and Sawyer banter back and forth, but Hurley, showing the, the leadership which will serve him for presumably ad infinitum as the island's protector, he steps in. He throws the walkie-talkie into the sea uh, and says that they should get walking, and that's that. Back to the radio tower, Rousseau and Kate have found a bloody trail, or perhaps two, and Jack sends off the main group with Kate in charge of them and Jack, Rousseau, and tied-up Ben searching for Naomi. Ben notices something as they hug. Perhaps it's just the fact that they're hugging, the fact that they're affectionate for each other, but hmm, he, he would know that, wouldn't he? And indeed, the camera makes it clear that he's noticing something and clearly chalking up a little tidbit to use later, as indeed the story will, for the uh, sat phone has just changed owners. Now, back on the beach, there's a really odd little scene which amounts to little more than Hurley and, and the group locking and loading and preparing for the freighter baddies and preparing to leave. And it's a further odd moment because it's either very strangely lit or it's done with a green screen. I wondered if perhaps it was a, a last-minute addition. The next time that we will see this bunch, it'll be full nighttime in the jungle. Uh, now, granted, the previous Hurley scene did end with him saying, let's get walking. But I don't know if they just felt that you needed some sort of little 30-second and, you know, let's get walking, then 30 seconds of, and then they left. And then when you see them again, now much time has gone by, for they are in the dark jungle with torches. That's the only reason I can think of that, because there's really nothing achieved in the scene other than the notion that they are leaving that setting. With that, we flash forward to Happy Hurley playing Connect Four in Santa Rosa, cheerily uh, taking his medication, and being introduced to the mysterious visitor in the form of Mr. Abaddon. He describes himself as an oceanic attorney, and more. Frankly, we feel terrible about it. So, on behalf of Oceanic, I'd like to extend you an invitation for a little upgrade. What kind of upgrade? To a facility where the paint isn't peeling off the walls. Where you'd have your own bathroom. You can see the ocean from where. I don't want to see the ocean. No problem. Actually, thanks. I'm... I'm, I'm fine right here. Are you fine, Mr. Reyes? What do you mean? You're in a mental institution. Who'd you say you were again? I'd like to see a business card. I must have left them at home. Then we're done, dude. Are they still alive? 
What? You heard me. Nurse! Nurse! Get out of here! You better get out of here! Help me! Help me! He's after me! No, 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 no! no. That guy's after me! Help me! It's smart for Hurley to sniff out that there's some sort of ulterior motive, uh, though that statement of, are they still alive, uh, it's clearly meant to stun him, but I think us more, as we're trying to, as first-time viewers, really understand the nature of this flash-forward world. Uh, Hurley clearly knows something that we don't, and that, uh, of course, has the dramatic function of propelling the mystery further. Back on the island, we see more of Hurley showing his mettle, uh, Sawyer tries to strike up a conversation about Charlie in order to let Hurley mourn. Hurley puts up the sort of wall that a leader must at times, telling him it's probably best if they don't talk, for they'll get to Jack sooner. Now, there's a great subtext to this scene, uh, as indeed the scene serves two purposes. One is, you know, kind of this wall that Hurley has put up. Also, we see Sawyer being kind and sympathetic and caring. Though, as is often the case, he's rebuffed over his quote-unquote reputation. Hurley sends Sawyer on, and with all this, despite the fact that Hurley is only 15, 20, 30 feet behind the rest of the group, he somehow becomes lost and wanders across Jacob's cabin. Fitting, isn't it, that the first person we see find the cabin, not get led to it, but actually find it, is Hurley, who we can assume one day we'll hang out in quote-unquote Hurley's cabin at some time after the show's finale. Uh That, of course, takes us to an act break, and afterwards, Naomi's trail has gone cold, and Jack has lost the sat phone. Ben, playing off that earlier look that we saw, calmly admits that, whoops-a-daisy, he saw Kate take it, and he should have told Jack, but Jack did beat him up. Uh, Ben then twists the metaphorical knife by saying that Kate must have also found the right track, so apparently somebody knows what they're doing. I suppose here you can't quite argue with old Ben. With that, we cut to Kate on her proper trail, who takes a call from Minkowski before cutting it short and then realizing that blood is falling on her. Then Naomi falls on her. There's a tense moment, and then finally Naomi makes her call back to the boat. (laughs) George, it's Naomi. Naomi, where have you been? What's going on over there? I had an accident. I'm hurt. What, an accident? What, 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 what accident? What happened? Naomi? Hello? Hello? I hit a tree branch when I parachuted in. Took it through my gut. Why did they tell me you were getting firewood? I guess they were afraid to tell you what happened to me till I could talk to you myself. We've lost our signal and we can't come get you. Can you change your tracking frequency? Yeah. <laughs> Try it now. Clear as a bell. Hang on, Naomi. We'll, we'll get you back here ASAP, okay? I'm sorry, George. Just tell my sister that I love her. As we'll learn, it's that final line, tell my sister that I love her, which in many ways condemns everyone, as there is no sister. 
From that bit of dark business, things get worse. Hurley at the cabin. It's a place with, I think for us, residual energy. For us as viewers, it's a frightening place. Especially if you've seen this scene before. It's Christian, who he barely sees in there. Indeed, it was difficult to even see that on the rewatch. Look, Christian is in there, sure enough, as well as that mysterious other eye, which, at least as I recall, might be one of those minor mysteries that's never been solved. Who was the other eye? Uh, but uh, as Hurley leaves there, oh, oh, and by the way, stay tuned for the, uh, the, the uh, Lostpedia trivia at the end, because there's a fascinating little bit about this scene, but... Moving on with uh, moving on with the story, it's interesting that Hurley seems to almost will the cabin away by shutting his eyes and basically saying, "There's no place like this cabin. There's no place like this cabin. There's no place like this cabin." Uh, on the flip side, it might just be because Locke is back, who indeed returns over him, says hello, and ends the act. After the break, there's an almost reverential scene: John, a la the Baptist, and Hurley reaffirming their faith. That is, it is indeed not Penny's boat, and that everyone else must know that, lest Charlie have died in vain. With that, we continue on. Hurley meets up with the rest of the group. Then Locke arrives, the rest of the group being the, the, the boat bunch. For once, we have exposition working here in the forces of good. Saeed is upset to see Locke. And I was kind of sitting here saying, well, well wait, what's their beef? I don't remember. Uh, then, luckily, dialogue reminds us that it was Locke who blew up the submarine, and that's what that's what has upset Saeed. And before we can linger too long, the two groups, Beach and Radio Tower, meet up. Sun and Jin, hug. Rose and Bernard, hug. Claire, wonderfully portrayed here by Emily Duravin, cranes her neck, looking for Charlie, who isn't there. Desmond is ready to do the soldier's duty, but... Hurley, the ascendant future commander-in-chief, does it instead. He's dead. Charlie's We flash forward to Hurley, calmly painting outside. Then from mourning his death in, in the previous scene, the show again changes, I think, in a, in a rather profound way, the makeup of the show. Hey, man. Don't run. Hurley? Imaginary conversation with you. I am dead. 
I'm also here. Okay, prove it. Why didn't you tell me? Because you would have tried to stop me. And since I was going to do it anyway, I thought I would spare you all the drama. And now you have to do something. But you're hiding from it. That's the real reason you ran when you saw me in the store. You knew I was here to tell you. I'm not listening to this. No, because you're not here. I'm here. You're being a baby. I'm gonna close my eyes and count to five, and when I open it, you'll be gone. I am here. One. Don't do this. Two. They need you. Three. They need you, Hugo. Four. You know they need you. They need you, he's told. Is this the castaways or everyone on the island? Everyone who will land there during Hurley's giant rain after the end of the show? I think it's also interesting too just from the construction of the episode when we finally maybe not we but when the characters truly start to mourn charlie here when there finally is that moment where tears are shed uh it's that moment that he returns albeit in flashback albeit just for the scene but there he kind of reappears uh and, and uh <laughs> certainly all you know it, it reminds us all the better uh, how how uh, how sad it was to lose him, and let's not forget as well in that ghost of Charlie scene that the clip starts with another guest of Santa Rosa saying that he has seen Charlie too. Now, on first viewing, it's easy to dismiss this guy as a crazy or perhaps as an imagined figure of of Hurley's as well, but that's simply not the case. For you know, we're we're starting to learn here that there are, there there are indeed ghosts uh, in the show. Anyhow, with flash forward over, Hurley finishes embracing Claire, just in time for Jack to show up, see Locke, and clock him good. Uh, It's been a while since we've seen Jack be so wrong. Uh, Of course, he's upset that Locke has blocked the rescue, and we now have a really good sense uh, that that is. uh, We, as first-time viewers, putting on that hat for a moment, we have a, a good sense that the freighter at least should be looked at with a suspicious eye. Uh, but anyhow, here we see Jack profoundly backing the wrong horse. We return trippers absolutely know that, that, that there's nothing good uh, on that freighter. Jack here is prepared to shoot Locke, and Locke dismisses the, the threat because, click, Jack pulls the trigger because the gun wasn't loaded. Locke looks confused. Uh, of course Jack wouldn't shoot, but he just did. With that, we end the act and return mid-scene with Jack just wailing on Locke. Jack gets pulled off, and with Kate arriving, everyone is back together. It clearly isn't meant to last. It's a kicking-off point for the season, really. Uh, Locke wants to get away from the freighter people, and will be going, he says, to the barracks. We know that Jack will oppose him. That could just be predicted before the, the moment even continues. And indeed, this is an elegant moment in which to pause, 
Jack, of course, is going to go one way with, we can assume, Kate and Hurley. This must be the beginning of the Oceanic Six. So who else will join them? It's a guessing game of who's going to be getting off the island. Uh, and we're now back to gamely playing along and making predictions about how things will twist and how things will turn. Uh, the tension of the scene is also that Jack does not know what Charlie has said. Charlie went down to that place so we could all be rescued. Whatever we did down there, it worked. But then something must have happened. Must have heard something before he... I don't know why, but he changed his mind. Because the last thing he did was to warn us that the people in that boat are not who they said they were. to my friend listening to Charlie it is of course tremendously shocking that Hurley isn't following Jack that the Oceanic Six isn't being formed here in nice little boxes 30 minutes after they were named it's the show being dramatic and heartfelt and moving the game pieces all at the same time achieving multiple objectives of a sort where everything, you know, you, you're completely thrown th- thrown for a loop here. You know Kate's going to get off. Uh, but for, for Jack and Kate to go one way and Hurley to go another, it's it's this, it's certainly shocking for first-time viewers. And that's part of the, uh, the beauty of the construction here. And there's a great moment as the scene progresses where everyone picks sides. Lovely little moment with Rose and Bernard. Rose, of course, wants to stay on the island, but she will not follow Locke. Sawyer going with Locke. He tells Kate why. Because he always is one to survive. With that, the rains come. It's almost biblical. You get the sense. Uh, And the group, the one whole group, our group, separates again. And it feels like the end of an episode, but... We still have one more flash forward and then something to propel us into next week, just like any good Lost episode does. That flash forward is Hurley shooting baskets, getting one more visitor, Jack. Jack looks outright happy to see Hurley, and Hurley looks wary. They shoot hoops and they share information. Jack is back doing surgical stuff. The reporters are going away. However, to keep away those autograph seekers, Jack says he's thinking of growing a beard, which is a big red flashing light saying, this is before the other story with bearded angry Jack. Then Hurley asks Jack why he's really there. I was just checking on you, seeing if everything was okay. Checking to see if I went nuts, if I was going to tell. Are you? You're up. 
Nah, you win. Stay with you. Water under the bridge, man. I don't think we did the right thing, Jack. I think it wants us to come back. Hurley. It's gonna do everything it can. We're never going back. Never say never, dude. It's again this question. Who are these people and how did they get here? Why is Jack covering up some great big secret? What is the great big mistake that was made? And how does Jack go from declaring he'll never go back to, to pleading for it? Uh, it's just a wonderfully placed little scene. I mean, of course we know the answers. Uh, I'm just pointing out the dramatic function of it that we're just completely, you know, thrown for a loop here on first time viewing. You know, how how do we get from A to B? How do they get from Island to Happy Jack shooting baskets to despondent Jack declaring that you know they have, we have to go back, Kate, we have to go back. So with that, flash forward is over. Jack and Kate have a little moment fuselage uh they've set up so much at least you know the show's creators have set up so much uh, for the season this episode at this point why not throw in one more thing to get us uh, kicked off for uh for episode 402 it is of course a helicopter not crashing this time but passing by them flashing its light for a moment and then it's gone however from the skies we have a new character Are you Jack? As if we didn't have enough, who are these people and how did they get here? Well, here we have yet one more. Unlike the season three uh, premiere, this is, you know, what an episode. It's, it's equal time, maybe not equal, but it's wonderful time to all the characters. Uh, you know, many, many people get their moment uh advances the story moves the pieces broadens the mystery just a fantastic season premiere the way the way to be done certainly so just an exciting episode can't wait to get to 402 but first let's take a look at lostpedia which already i see uh there's a uh, something to correct me and this is a just a chockful section of stuff on lostpedia so we start out with the previous two season premieres began in an unfamiliar location and were meant to mislead the viewer into thinking that the scene did not take place on the island. This episode's cold open had the same twist, but in reverse. The first shot appears to be of the island, and then the scene is then revealed to take place off-island. So I think that, you know, that certainly was obvious enough, but it, it's nice in the context that they've done this for the previous two episodes, uh, two season premieres. Um, they also mentioned the letters H and O show up several times in the episode, 
No, this is not a Donimus moment. They're pointing out that H is the eighth letter of the alphabet and O is the 15th, which together makes 815. While, uh, for example, while playing horse with Hurley, Jack gets the letters H-O. Uh, also behind Hurley as he's freaking out over Abaddon, there's a small sculpture with the letters H-O on the shelf. And lastly, Hurley mentions Charlie's ghost showing up in the convenience store right next to the Ho-Ho's. Uh, also, Lostpedia here, uh, definitely correcting me. Authoritatively, they say, Randy Nations is seen filming at the end of the car chase with a camera. So I stand corrected on that. Uh, also, Kate joining up with the rest of the group in the cockpit marks the first time that all of the living, free survivors of Flight 815 have been in the same location at the same time since Live Together, Die Alone, Part 1. Which certainly is a shocking little moment there. Uh, also, Lostpedia says when Hurley is talking to Abaddon, the chalkboard behind them shows a drawing of a freighter, an island, and a shark. Another finger painting has the word victory painted in red. By the way, certainly that chalkboard drawing uh, was reminiscent of the uh, the mural in the hatch drawn by, uh, or I guess painted, the mural was painted by uh, by Jack Bender, and I wondered if the, the chalkboard was done by him as well. He, of course, directed this episode. They also mention Hurley's cannonball is reminiscent of a real jump into the ocean taken by Jorge Garcia. According to the Season 1 DVD bonus feature, Welcome to Oahu, Garcia dived into the water as soon as filming was done on Pilot Part 1, calling it a little symbolic moment of triumph. Another bit of trivia, when the camp splits, it is the last time Desmond, Rose, and Bernard, and many other 815 survivors will ever see Locke again. Similarly, it is the last time chronologically that Ben and Juliet share a scene together. So, certainly a, an important moment there. Uh, also, they say that uh, the eye Hurley saw uh, is the same eye shown in the man behind the curtain. Uh, last but not least, uh, certainly not. It's not last and it's not least. The existence of the Oceanic Six is confirmed in this episode. Hurley and Jack are confirmed to be members, and although not stated explicitly, many viewers concluded that Kate was as well. Uh, also, and here's the big tidbit from, uh, from the cabin. Originally, Hurley was going to come across himself in Jacob's cabin, but the network urged the writers to change the scene to Shepard, afraid it would set a precedent of weirdness. Now, my goodness, if you had Hurley in Jacob's cabin... There's your foreshadowing that Hurley will end up being the Jacob, simply put. Uh, I agree it also would have been extremely strange and probably have led many of us down a path that wouldn't have been fruitful, which is to say, you know, is there time travel on the island? Is It, it, it would have, you know, uh, are there twins? It, you know, it, it probably would have taken us somewhere that, that was too weird for our own good, but a neat little, a neat little thing there. Last two bits here, they mention that Jack has lost a lot of weight between uh, Looking Glass Part 2 and this episode, despite only taking place minutes apart. Uh, that's especially noticeable in that uh, last flash-forward scene where they're shooting hoops. Ironically, this is because Matthew Fox was filming Speed Racer during the summer hiatus, the very same Speed Racer, scored by Michael Giacchino, and uh, one of those tracks used as the Season 4 theme song for this very podcast. Last but not least... Minkowski's voice is different from the one heard in Looking Glass Part 2. Uh, I think that that's obvious enough if you're listening for uh, Fisher Stevens' voice in Looking Glass Part 2. Eh, 
Would have been nice if they had him record those extra couple of lines, if only for the DVD, just as they did for, uh, well, I guess it was kind of in reverse, but just as, you know, they used Boone's voice on Bernard's end of the of the uh, radio. And I think there's also, it's floating around in my head, there's some other time where they've uh, gone back and done that. Certainly Penny's, uh, Penny's photograph, that the first time you see that, but that's a bit more pressing and necessary. Of course, you can't have the wrong picture floating around, but... Eh, oh well, certainly sounds like him this time. It's nice that because of the time between when this episode was shot and it aired and uh, hiring Fisher Stevens in the interim that you could have him record uh, um, all of these uh, season four radio bits. So on that note, let's look ahead to next week, episode 402, Confirmed Dead, where we really get into the freighter folk, or at least that, that first wave of freighter folk. A great episode, a fun episode, and one that I'm looking forward to like share feedback the best way is to say hello on twitter where i'm looking back lost send an email to looking back at lost at gmail.com call the listener line 732-707-1815 or leave a comment on the webpage looking back at lost.podbean.com thank you everyone for listening it's great to be in season four i'm really 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 looking forward to uh, tearing through these episodes of breakneck speed of course you get to only hear them one week at a time alas unless of course you're listening to me from the future which i suppose is uh, well happens as well so thank you everybody for listening and talk to you all again next week for 402 confirmed dead take care and bye bye <laughs>